Hey guys, we hope you've enjoyed listening to Lexi and I share our stories in the past couple of episodes. Today, we're going to go a little bit deeper. So this is a more theological episode. If you've ever had any questions about the priesthood, we hope that you find today's podcast helpful. Enjoy. Ashley just goes, I don't know how to start. Hi, Lexi! Yeah, so, hi, Lexi! Ashley, what's your biggest pet peeve? I have a lot of them. Um, I think the first ones that come to my mind are, number one, the word stink. I, like, can't, what? I can't handle that word. Like, it makes me cringe. I, I, I... That is I so hate odd. It. I know. I can't, like, I would... I actually think it's more offensive to say that stinks than it is to say that sucks. Like, straight up. I hate the word. Wow, um, this is so good to know. I can't yeah, believe I like, it's been oh, that long and I have Like, known. I, like, actually cringe. Okay. So if I ever need to get under Ashley's skin, mm-hmm. I just use the word stink. I don't know stink. what it is. I think it's because, like, I knew a mom in high school who would, like, be like, that's really stinky. And I'd be like, <laughs> okay. That's weird. I don't know. It just bugs me. Okay. Um, and then another one that definitely comes to my mind. Okay. So I love going on swings. Like, you know. Like in like the playground? A, in the playground. Okay. Yeah. But it squeaks and I can't handle the squeak. Like I have to get off because I feel like it's this just like. the best intro I, ever. Like don't, I don't know what I to do really with I was really expecting more serious things these are serious things they actually are problematic in my life a lot of people say the word stink and i walk by a lot of playgrounds so i hear squeaking swings wow (laughs) this is amazing i mean i have more but we'll just leave it at that what are yours are those your two biggest pet peeves i'm assuming so because they're the first two that came to my mind wow well okay on a more serious note like i mean those are serious but like on like a I have to go to confession regularly over this. Like, uh, if my if I have made something known in a public way, or like if it's something that's accessible, like a piece of information, yeah, and I am asked by a friend or a teen or whatever, like, hey, Ashley, like, when's this happening, or what do I do about this? And it's like clearly somebody hasn't used their resources. Oh, like, yeah, I yeah. can't. I don't think that's a pet peeve. I think that's like a human thing that no one likes. Like if like basically you're saying I already sent this in an email or I already made this known in a very obvious public way. And then people are asking me questions that I've already given the answers to. Like, I mean, yeah, yeah, I get that that's frustrating, but I don't think that's like like a personal pet peeve. That's just like a humanly annoying thing. Okay. Well, whatever. I think it it makes my blood pressure go far more than it should. Well, yeah, I guess I get that, that it's like, but way more irritating. Yeah. So, okay, I tried to go more serious, and then apparently that's not a pet peeve. So, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, you're, it is, it is like a, an annoying thing. I yeah, guess, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's annoying for a lot of people, yeah. for most people, because I totally feel you on that. Unlike the swings and the word stink. I'm a little like alone. I like that. those, though. <laughs> those are interesting. Okay, what are yours? Um, I think one of my biggest pet peeves is when people are really anti-Harry Potter because they (laughs) think that it's demonic. And um, especially when they haven't read it. Like, it's one thing if you've read it and you're like, you know what, I have beef with XYZ. Like, I can have a conversation with you about that. But when people are just like, Harry Potter is the devil! And I'm like, have you read Harry Potter? And they're like, no, but... Someone said that Harry Potter is the devil, and so <laughs> I'm on a crusade against it. And like, I think that Harry Potter is one of the most true, good, and beautiful book series ever. Mm. And so I that bothers me a lot. And then my other one is when um, people are on their phone when I'm talking to them. I knew she was going to say that. I started making the like texting yeah. fingers because I was trying to act like. But I'm that so one is smart. also I feel like bothers everybody, yeah. but it it really really bothers me. Like I think it's just. It's very rude. And I think I just value listening a lot. Like I really, it, it makes me feel so loved when people listen to me and like yeah. when they're actually listening to me. And I think that I, I, I don't like sharing very often and very much. And so I think when I try and share and then people are like ignoring me, I just drives me up a wall. Fair enough. Yeah. Also very human. Yep. Like you said. 
Totally. Yeah. I don't have, I'm trying to think of ones that I have that are like weird, that are really abnormal, that are like swing squeaking. (laughs) Swing squeaking. We have a new phrase, friends. Swing squeaking. I'm going to keep thinking on that. Okay. I'm trying to think of other pet peeves. I think another pet peeve of mine, just because why not? Um, so this happens a lot because nail polish doesn't stay on one's fingers <laughs> eternally, but having like chipped nails. And so I paint my nails like at least twice a week. It's yeah. kind of a problem. I can't do normal nail polish anymore. Like I just don't do it. I either have to do gel or acrylic so that it stays on for... But acrylic ruins your nails, boys, just so you know. Acrylic ruins your nails. But it really doesn't. Like, it depends on how you take it off. Like, if you pick it off, it's going to ruin your nails. Okay, but if are you, you go... referring to... <laughs> I totally did that. Oh, yeah, you did. But that, that will ruin your nails. But if you just, like, go in and get it done normally, like, it... I guess if you continuously do it, it'll ruin your nails. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. Cool. Well... That was fun. Should we jump into our topic of Yeah, so I'm Zide? super excited for what we're going to talk about today, because... Um, tomorrow is a very, it's like one of my favorite days of the year, which I think we talked about already, but tomorrow is Holy Thursday and, uh, it's the start of the Triduum and I really love Holy Thursday. Uh, so Holy Thursday, we celebrate the institution of the Eucharist, right? Because, um, that was when Jesus celebrated the last supper, knowing that he was going to his death. He celebrated the Passover with his apostles. And so he instituted um, the Eucharist on that day. But along with the institution of the Eucharist, because he instituted the Eucharist, along with the Eucharist, we also believe that Holy Thursday is the institution of the priesthood. Mm -hmm. And um, this was a topic, the topic of, well, actually female priesthood or lack thereof in the church was a topic that I know my teens had requested for us to talk about. And so we thought that it would be super appropriate um, today to talk about the priesthood in general, since tomorrow we actually celebrate the institution of the priesthood. Yes. So what we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to start out by just discussing, um, what the priesthood is. And then we're going to like throughout, we'll address questions like, okay, why, why can't women be priests? Um, why are priests celibate? Do they have to be celibate? Um, what about this scandals? Like, what do we do when our priests are imperfect? Um, so our hope today is that is not that we solve all of your questions and that you having listened to one podcast leave being like, wow, I understand the priesthood through and through. I know how to re- to rebuttal. Is that the right word? Yeah. Rebuttal every thing that comes against it. Like, no, like just prerequisite to this is like, I know that a lot of these questions took me a lot of conversations, a lot of reading, a lot of um, like prayer um, to really grasp. So, so I just encourage you to like, let your mind and your heart enter into this and don't let this be the last conversation you have. Like, you know how to text Lexi. You know how to text me. We got some resources. We like talking, actually, turns out. Um, and so we're happy to like continue to accompany you in this topic. So, yeah, yeah. Lexi, can you get us started um, in just kind of setting up the priesthood? Because the reality is this, like, all of us, as you listeners hopefully know or maybe know, um, like because we're baptized, like we're all priest, prophet, king, right? Um, but that's different. Like the priest component there is different than like a priest that's offering mass. Yeah. So can you just kind of bring us up to speed on like the distinctions and like what a priest ultimately is? Yeah. I think that when we're talking about the priesthood, it's super important for us to like ask the question of what is priesthood? Like, what is a priest? If I'm baptized priest, like, what does that mean? What is a priest? What does a priest do? Um, and so we, it's, it's helpful, I think, to kind of look back at the old Testament for this and to look at the priests of the old Testament, because what they did is not ultimately a ton different from what our priests do today. Um, and so basically what a priest does is they offer sacrifice to God on behalf of the people. So in the Old Testament, um, there was this, I'm going to, I'm going to shorten this, but basically, uh, 
they would offer sacrificial lambs. So we, we call that a lot. It was like, oh, he was the sacrificial lamb, right? Um, and we talk about Jesus as the lamb of God, right? So priests would offer sacrificial lambs on behalf of the people to God. So this lamb, the sheep, would be processed through like the group of people and the people would lay their hands on this lamb. And what that symbolized was the people putting their sins onto the lamb instead of on themselves so that the lamb would become, would take on all of the sins of the people. So as you touch this lamb, it would take on your sins. And then the priest would offer the lamb as a sacrifice. So he would slaughter the lamb and, and basically kill the people's sins. So this lamb would be sacrificed to God as an offering for our sins. So um, today we don't offer any more sacrifices because Jesus was the final and ultimate sacrifice. He was and is the lamb of God, right? Like he is the lamb that was slain. So, but we do continue to unite our sins and our lives to that one sacrifice. And we do that at the mass. So the priest is the one who offers that sacrifice, the sacrifice of Jesus to God the Father on our behalf. So he's like a mediator of sorts between us and the Father for that sacrifice. So when you and I are baptized priest, we don't like celebrate the mass in the same way that the priest does, but we can offer prayers for one another. We're actually supposed to offer prayers for one another, right? Like we can mediate for one another. I can pray for Ashley. I can go to the Lord in my prayer and say like, Heavenly Father, you know, grant Ashley these graces. And in that way, my prayers, I'm like being a little priest. You know, I'm I'm interceding on behalf of Ashley. Um, but the priest who is who has been ordained with capital holy P. orders with the capital P, <laughs> he offers the ultimate sacrifice on behalf of all of the people, which is the sacrifice of the mass. So that's the ultimate distinction. The priest acts, actually, we call it in persona Christi when he's celebrating the sacraments, which means that he is like Christ in that moment. He is Christ and he's not like Christ. He is Christ in that moment. He is acting in the person of Christ. Um, so much so that Therese, it was so cute, St. Therese, when she would go to confession, she always like, she was like, I was so tempted. I just want to tell the priest that I love him with my whole heart because I know that I'm talking to Jesus in that moment. And I can like tell him that I love him with my whole heart. I thought that was really cool. So, so you and I don't act in persona Christi, but the priest does. He stands in the place of Christ when he's offering those sacraments. Yes. And just an emphasis there when he's offering those yep. sacraments. Not so it's not like you call up a priest and like, oh, you're talking to Jesus himself. Like, no, it's it's in in those moments of, of the sacramental life of the church. Yep. Um, and another thing I'd like to add to that, which I just think is, is really cool. Um, so when we're all baptized, right, we receive an indelible mark, meaning like it cannot be taken away. Like we are claimed for Christ for eternity. Um, and when men called to the priesthood receive the sacrament of holy orders. They too, they receive another, I guess you could say indelible mark, um, which marks them a priest for eternity. Like they're not just priests like until they die, right? You get married until you die. And then you're not married anymore once you're in heaven. But priests are always priests. It's which, so cool. Like, and I, I emphasize that because there is something very, um, very particular and very anointed and very unique happening in that sacrament that I, as Ashley, a lay woman could never have because it's, it hasn't been, um, I don't have that indelible mark, right? Like something in his soul is actually sealed and marked as priest. Yeah. It's like being, I always think of indelible marks, like being branded. I do too. You know, like, like he, we in heaven, even in like, even the times when we don't have our body, like when we, when we go to heaven and in that, I know it's all outside of time, right? But when we are separated from our body on this earth, um, we will know in heaven who is a priest. And I just think that that's so crazy. It's cool. so crazy. Another thing that I think is really important to point out. So like we talked about, Lexi talked about how priests offer the sacrifice, right? And that is the mass. Um, but we also know that that's not all that priests can do, right? Like, yep. I can't absolve anybody, even if they confess their sins to me, like 
that's fine. I'll listen, but I can't help you. Right. Yep. Um, but we know priests can, we know priests can anoint the dying and the sick. We know, um, priests can actually do that. Well, we can all do baptism in like an emergency, but like they can all the time. Right. Yes. So Lexi, like, can you help us understand like how that fits in with the sacrifice that we were saying you ultimately get to do as a priest? Yeah. So all of the graces for all other sacraments ultimately flow from the grace of the mass, um, which is kind of an interesting concept when you really think about it. So we call, we call the mass, we call the Eucharist, the source and summit of our faith, meaning everything is leading to that point and everything flows from that point. So with the priest being the ultimate mediator between us and God, like he has been given the authority to, um, to confer those graces on us that were won for us with the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. So the grace that we receive of forgiveness for our sins in the confessional is ultimately the grace of the mass, right? Like, does that kind of make sense? So it's all the same grace because it's the power being conferred. It's the power of the cross. Exactly. And that's what we are remembering at mass. And that's where all power flows from. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And I think it's interesting because Lexi was, we were talking about this a little earlier. Um, and we were remembering that like Jesus, um, he instituted the Eucharist, right? Like while he was still on earth, um, which then called the apostles to do the same. Um, he said, do this in memory of me. Right. And then it's, he, he dies on the cross. He rises from the dead. It's before he is ascended though. Um, that's when he gives them the power to forgive sins. Whatever yep, you exactly. bind on earth will be bound in heaven. They Whenever don't you have lose that earth, power until the cross, until the cross and, and the resurrection. And what I thought was kind of cool is I was thinking about ordination. And if you've ever gone to an ordination of a priest, yeah. um, he, the very first sacrament that he like performs. I don't want to say perform. That's not the right word. Cause that totally goes against what we're talking about, but like, I just couldn't think of the word, but yeah, celebrates the very first sacrament he celebrates is the Eucharist, right? Cause he gets to yes. join the other priests on the altar and con celebrate, celebrate with, um, the Eucharist. And then after that, that's when he's going to start having the authority given to him by Christ to celebrate other sacraments like reconciliation. So I just think that's really, it actually all flows that. from the mass. It literally does. Yeah. It's so, super cool. Super so, um, I know this is like a lot of theology, um, and, and normally we would be more like, let's tell stories and let's do this, but we have so much we want to cover today. So we know this is like kind of theology heavy. Um, but that's like the basic theology of the priesthood. Mm-hmm. And I think now we can get into some of the more practicals, yeah. right? Like some of our more practical questions, um, about the priesthood. So one of the other things that really distinguishes the the ordained priesthood from us in our lay priesthood is celibacy. Um, we, we call upon our priests to be celibate, right? Which means that they, for those of you who don't know, they're never married, right? Like they're never sexually active. And, um, I know a lot of people wonder why, Mm -hmm. and, uh, even sometimes think that that can be destructive to our priests as men. So um, I know, Ashley, you have some kind of cool stories to talk about and just some great things to talk about along this line. Would you share Yeah, I think first, though, I think it just would be important to, um, to make an important distinction here. So celibacy is something that, like, right now is the norm. Like, the church has declared celibacy to be the norm, to be the best way for a priest. Um, however, it's not what we would call dogmatic, right? Which means that... Like, should the bishops discern that God wanted that to change? Like, it's not off the table because we're going to talk about this a little bit later. But like, we have, the church has the authority to wrestle with that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, you'll even see, like, there are some um, priests that were once Anglican and then they, they were already married because in the Anglican church, you can be married. And then they converted to Catholicism but we recognize the same priesthood, so to speak. And so they're, they're now a Catholic priest who's married. Right. Yep. So we see it. I just, yep. I just want to start out by, by making that clear. Did yep. I, did I, did, would you add you anything did. to that Lexi yep. or was that? Okay. No, I think that was a good explanation. Okay, cool. So, um, so I think though, like the reality is that like the church does currently think like, yeah, this, this is really the best way. And, um, and I've asked the question of certain priests, like, you know, 
how not like I would directly be like, how is celibacy? That'd be weird. Hey, but how like, is celibacy? I, <laughs> <laughs> but like I, I will just say, and Father Colin gave me permission to share this, but I was talking with Father Colin like at one point about like the call to priesthood. And we have like deep theological conversations, like he, Elliot, and I. So it was just like another one of those. And um, he was sharing with, with us, or with me, I think, I don't think Elliot was there, but um, he was sharing with me um, that for him, the there was a lot of like, of things in his heart that were pointing him towards celibacy even before the, the call to the priesthood came. Like he would say like his heart... Um, his heart really like he felt that call to to be fully the lord's right and and he said it was clear like or he said clearly like it's not that i didn't have attractions to women um and and it's not that i didn't have these deep friendships with women that could lead to that attraction but he was saying because his heart felt so drawn to celibacy and towards that that very unique gift of self um he didn't feel that tension like he felt like wow i can like direct that love in a celibate way um for all people um because that's that's what a that's what the gift i think of celibacy allows a priest is they can be fully they can be fully wed so to speak to the church mm -hmm. right like their whole lives are made available to the church and like just a side note too like i work with a lot of men um in the church who have families and there's a lot of sacrifice that comes with that, yeah. like that. And they're not even priests, right? They're like lay ministers mm -hmm. and there's a lot of sacrifice right there. And there are lines that they have to draw in order to make their family the priority. Well, yeah, because at their marriage, they gave themselves entirely mm -hmm. over to their spouse. Right. And therefore to their family. Like that was their total gift of self. Yeah. So that's their priority. Right. Right. So I think that like I say that because there's, there's a very clear wisdom I think in the church um, to call men to that spiritual fatherhood in such a, an exclusive way. Yeah. Um, and just practically, practically, even yeah. like on a spiritual level, it makes sense. Like on a theological level, it makes sense, but then also just practically, mm -hmm. like it makes sense that these priests have so many people who, who need their love and care mm -hmm. that it's impractical to also have a family on top of that yeah. and be able to minister appropriately to your people. Mm -hmm. I think before we move on from this, it would be worth um, bringing up. Cause I, I think right in light of the scandals that have been happening uh, devastatingly in our church, um, one of the arguments that I hear from several people is if priests could just get married, then these scandals would be way lower. Um, but I'm going to let, Lexi kind of explain why that's not a good argument. Yeah. So it's like, it's, it's a reasonable proposition to make, but then as soon as you look into it, it doesn't really hold water. And the reason is, um, so I, I help teach virtue sessions, right? Which are like, you know, child safety sessions. And I was like, you know, that has its ups and its downs. But one of the positives is that I've memorized a lot of statistics. And <laughs> <laughs> so um, and I can't remember what source this comes from, but it's definitely, uh, I have to look into it. It's a credible source, but it says that the majority of people in the world, like looking at all people, men, women, age and married, unmarried, the majority of people who commit pedophilia are married, middle-aged white men. And I think that that's fascinating in a horrible way because you know, we would think that it's these like lonely, isolated men, you know, but it's not, it's, it's actually, and especially it's, it's even, um, a lot of it, a lot of this pedophilia is, is like adult male on male child. Right. And this is coming from a man who would call himself a straight married man. Right. So I think a lot of people, first of all, think that the scandal in our priesthood is because these men are unmarried. And I would just argue that, let me tell you, you can have a really unhealthy marriage and marriage is not like the end all be all solution. Like if you have a sexual crisis going on in your psyche, marriage is only going to add on to that sexual crisis. It is not going to solve the sexual crisis. And let me tell you, pedophilia is a sexual crisis, right? So like marriage 
will not fix the problem of pedophilia. It will probably only exacerbate the problem um, because now you're mistreating a woman on top of everything else. And then I love what Ashley said, like a priest committing these atrocities is, is ultimately a spirit of adultery, right? Because the priest has vowed himself to the church as the spouse of the church, right? Like he is married to the church. And so that adulterous spirit is there. And there, there's little reason for us to believe that that adulterous spirit would disappear if he were married to a woman as opposed to married to the church. Yep. Like if there's an adulterous spirit, there's an adulterous spirit. Yep. Um, and then on top of that, again, I'm, I'm convinced that if you're, if you're legitimately committing acts of pedophilia against small children, there is something psychologically wrong with you. Yep. Marriage does not solve psychological problems like that. It just doesn't. So, um, and the, the statistics just don't show that marriage solves that problem. And I think also like adding on to that too, Lexi, like there's this myth in our culture that like, that says that like we all must express our sexuality in order to be fulfilled. Like, like you have to have, let me rephrase that. Yes. We should express our womanhood or manhood. I mean like we, yeah, we have to engage in sexual act in order to fulfill ourselves. We're like, we're just going to burst if we don't. And like, that's just a lie. I mean like, who are some of the happiest Both people that life. we know? Right. Like, I just think of Mother Teresa. Like, she was a sister, a celibate sister. And, like, that woman had, yes, she had dark days, but she had a joy and a fulfillment that was so evident in her smile and in her yeah. interactions with her. She didn't people. have this pent up sexuality right. that was just ready to burst forth from her. Like, right. that's not how it was. And I think what Father Colin had said to me, like, that makes sense because it's not that Father Colin or any priest or any celebrate person is like repressing everything that they think and feel. Exactly. It's, they're a, like, they're, this is what true chastity is it is raising up those desires to be in line with the truth, to be in line with one's state of life, to be in line with love. Mm-hmm. And if you have not committed that to that person with your entire life, like there is no room for sexuality with that person. There is yeah. just no room for it. Whether you are straight or not, or married or what, like, or a priest, like yep. that is not in line with truth. And so, um, And so I think what Father Colin's example like reminds me of is like, it's not that Father Colin is squelching his love. He is raising it to the level of chastity. He's expressing expressing it in a higher way, actually. Like he is, he's expressing that love. It's not being suppressed. It's being expressed in a different way. Yep. Yeah. In a more meaningful way, ultimately. Yeah. Mm. Okay. So I think we addressed the celibacy issue. I think so too. Um, And so, okay. So the other one, like the big elephant in the room, I think um, is women's ordination, right? Like I know for me, like when I was in high school, um, you guys, if you listen to the last, um, the last, sorry, I just, I don't know how Ashley just managed to almost fall over (laughs) while being in a chair over a table, but she did. (laughs) I don't know. I think the table moved and it made me jump and then I got off balance. Okay. Anyways. Um, so, okay. No, what I was gonna say, I don't know if you guys listened to the last story, but I talked about like how during my high school years, I kind of went through this crisis of like, okay, I'm like participating in a Presbyterian church and I'm participating in the Catholic church. And one of the things that bothered me at that point was like that I couldn't be a priest Mm -hmm. because I'm a woman. And I like, I remember conversations that I had with evangelical relatives, evangelical, like typically are fine with female pastors. Um, But I remember having conversations with, with people in my family being like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to be a pastor. Like I am going to be an ordained Christian pastor. Um, and so that was a tension for me, um, in the Catholic church. And it has honestly taken me a long time to, um, to really come to terms with it. And now like there is, there is no shadow of doubt in my mind as to, as to why it is. But I I just want to throw that out there because I think that it is a, a topic that we have to pray with and wrestle with, um, to really grasp why. So do you want to get us started, Lexi? Like, I think, um, maybe we can start with like authority kind of like where this comes from. Well, so, so there is, there is a reason, a solitary reason that the church does not ordain women. And then there are 
secondary reasons, but there is one main reason and it is the reason. It's the fundamental reason. And the reason that the church does not ordain women is because the church does not have the authority to ordain women. The reason that the church doesn't have the authority to ordain women is because Christ has not given us the authority to ordain women. Um, when Christ, so Jesus instituted every sacrament that we have, right? Just like we talk about the institution of the Eucharist happening on Holy Thursday, we, we just talked about the institution of the priesthood. And we can also talk about the institution of the sacrament of reconciliation. And we can talk about, like, we can talk about the institution of all of the sacraments, right? And, and when and how they were commissioned, right? And by, by God himself. Um, we can talk about Genesis. We can talk about marriage, right? Like all of the sacraments that we have were instituted by God himself. And we don't have the ability, the authority to insert our own ideas into the sacraments, right? They, they are as they are given to us. And we only have what we are given, right? Jesus only ordained men. He didn't ordain women into the priesthood. Um, he, he didn't call them to the priesthood and we see that at the last supper and when he, uh, commissions the sacrament of reconciliation, when he institutes the sacrament of reconciliation as well. So we can see this multiple times in the gospels, but ultimately when Jesus institutes the priesthood is here tomorrow in the last supper at the last supper and the people who he says, do this in memory of me. The ones who are sitting around the table are men. Yeah. And so when Jesus institutes the sacrament of holy orders, he, he commissions that sacrament for men. And so ultimately we can look and we can ask ourselves like, huh, I wonder what Jesus's reasons were for doing that. But what we can't say is, I don't think that was right. Right. You know, because he's God and he doesn't make mistakes and it wasn't an accident, right? He did that very intentionally. And what's also interesting, there were almost certainly women in the room at that moment. Mama Mary. Right? Like Mary was there and it says that like there are women there who were waiting on them, right? And like Jesus was not afraid of breaking social no, norms. Not at all. Okay? He did it all the time. Women at the well. The friends. way that he treated women at that time was groundbreaking. Okay. So Jesus was not like, Oh, well I can't ordain women because society wouldn't like it. No. Okay. He, he never acted that way. He treated women with an insane amount of dignity and respect and he still didn't commission them to be priests. Mm -hmm. And so we can take our, we can take our theological guesses as to what his reasons were. And we have some of those and we're going to talk about some of those, but ultimately he didn't. Yeah. Yeah, and he did. And I think before we talk about the maybe the whys, the speculations, the good speculations, um, I think this is something that I've reflected on and was like really, um, this reality was really life changing for me as a Catholic, because ultimately what this comes down to is an understanding of church authority, right? The church does not sit back and make up rules as she desires, mm -hmm. right? The church was instituted by Jesus and every single thing that she calls dogma, right? Like an unchangeable teaching. It's because Jesus first did it. The authority that the church has is the authority of Christ. And so for me, I want to start snapping. Like, mm, <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, and so I think though in our, our culture, like that is a foreign concept to yeah. quote unquote submit to authority. Like yes. even as I say those words, like the American in me kind of wants to be like, Oh, like no, because, because it's like, we're, we're so, like, I love Katy Perry's like roar song. Like, yeah, you're going to hear me roar. Like I'm going to mm -hmm. say my voice. I'm going to make my, like, I'm going to yep. make my, my voice known. Right. And, um, and so I think though, I don't submit to nobody. Right. But I think what has helped me is to realize that if I can't submit to the church, which Jesus Christ established, then I am saying I cannot submit to Jesus. And that's a bold statement. And I realize that. Okay. And I think an important thing is to realize that that's not me saying that everything that a priest says and does is something I submit to. There's a distinction. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, but the church as instituted by Christ, like submitting to 
the ways that Jesus set up this body, which is, is, is to nurture us and to walk us to heaven, I will submit because, um, and I, and, and I say that because, like in submitting, I don't actually feel, um, personally speaking, like I don't feel like squelch. I feel free. Like, I feel like, whoa, like I know, um, I know the love of Christ. Um, yeah. yeah. So I, I think that submission requires faith first, right? Because if I don't believe that Jesus founded the Catholic church, and if I don't believe that he set up the, the institution of the church, then I shouldn't be obedient to the church. Right. Right. So it requires faith. Like there is a level of belief that has to be there first. And that belief can be founded on reason also. Right. Like, I don't think that I have to blindly follow wherever the authorities tell me I should go. Right. Like that's actually super dangerous Mm -hmm. to blindly follow wherever the person who happens to be an authority at the moment tells you to go like extremely dangerous. And I know I was just talking to Ashley about this, like my dad, so my dad is not Catholic, right? My dad is also one of the most like say no to the authorities kind of person that I know. And, uh, he, he, we just had this conversation recently where it was like, you know, these are men, Lexi, like these are just men who you're listening to and you're following and you're being obedient to, and you're professing this, this need for obedience towards, right. Is like, this is a man-made institution. And that's the difference is like one, one of us believes that the institution is man-made and the other one of us believes that the institution was made by a man who also happened to be God, who was Jesus himself. Mm -hmm. Right. And like, that's a difference in faith. And so, um, it's not good to just blindly follow, you know, like we have to use our reason and, and also though, at some point, like there is faith that has to be implemented, right? And there's belief that has to be implemented. So like, we're not a cult, I guess is, is, is important for us to recognize that we don't just blindly follow the authorities and whatever the authorities tell us to do. And actually I'm going to just go back to the scandals for a second, because I think that's a great example of what it means to not blindly follow. Right. So, um, as the scandals have been unveiled, right? Like the laity, I don't know if you all noticed, but the laity has absolutely called that out and has been like, mm-hmm. absolutely not. We are not going to stand for this. This is an atrocity. Um, and there are active measures being taken um, to to like be like, this is against the priesthood. Like that's not the essence of the yeah. priesthood. Um, and so I just, I think that's an important thing to like point out. Like if we were just blindly following authority, then we would be like, okay, well, that's just what they do. It's fine. Right. Yeah. And like, but we're saying, um, heck no, it's not like, this is not okay. And I'm not saying this is not a statement on like how I think the church has handled it or not handled it. Like, that's not me saying that we've fixed it. Like I'm not, that's not my point here. My point is the fact that we can point out and question Mm -hmm. things that are contrary to the gospel that our authority figures are doing is another supporting proof that like, it's not, it's not like this cultish authority. Right. Exactly. And so the, and the church actually tells us as laity that we have the obligation to call out our authority figures when they are not acting in line with their call and their, their dignity. Right. So that's actually a requirement that the church asks of us. So the only place that we really believe that, that you and I are bound to obedience is in matters of faith and morals that the church professes as dogmatic and doctrinal, Mm -hmm. right? Other than that, like you are not bound to obedience. If a priest or a bishop or the Pope tells you to do something that is not a matter of like, like doctrinal faith and morals. Right. Mm -hmm. So if he, if, if, uh, let's like say, for example, a bishop tells you that you have to, um, let's see, what's a good example. You have to pray on your knees for 15 minutes every night. Like you are not bound to obedience to that because that's not like, that's not required for your salvation. Right. And like, what would you say, Lexi, if that was given as a penance though, would that be different? 
Yeah, I think that there's room for debate on that. I think like you should fulfill your penance. I was just wondering. Just want to clear that up in case. Yeah, no, that's a good question. (laughs) That's like, I guess I would argue that there's room for debate on that because like there are icky priests out there who will give you bad penances, right? And so like a penance is not infallible. And I actually know people who've kind of like questioned penances that they've received Mm -hmm. because they're like, I don't know if that's a good idea, you know? And so... Um, you can call your penances into question, I would say. Like, they are not infallible, you know? Mm-hmm. But in general, I would say do your penance. Right. Right. But, like, again, they're not. They're not without error ever. Yep. Yeah. That's good. These are good clarifications. Okay. So just kind of returning, I guess, to the to the female ordination or really lack thereof, we said the fundamental reason is, is simply that Jesus did not institute um, the sacrament of holy orders for women. He instituted it for men very intentionally. Um, and that is the fundamental reason. Um, but as Lexi said, there are these, um, theological arguments essentially saying like, Hey, let's, let's, uh, reasonably inquire why Christ may have done this. Not that, not that that's the answer, right? Just to be clear, that's not the answer. The answer lies in authority, but it can be helpful sometimes to say, huh, I wonder why Jesus only ordained men. So Lexi, can you um, kind of take us through maybe an idea of that, of like, what would, what would a theological argument be? Yeah. So we've talked actually the past few podcasts, I think about our like understanding of the, the spousal relationship of Jesus to his church. And that's kind of been a theme I've been noticing that we've been talking about lately. So hopefully that doesn't weird you out too much. Um, <laughs> Why would it weird us out? It's the crux of it all. I think it's sometimes harder for men to oh, grasp that concept because then they're true. like, am I a girl? Am I the bride? Good point. Um, which like... You're, you're not a girl, but you are the bride. Okay. Yeah, kind of. And I'm, yeah, <laughs> anyway. Uh, so it's, 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 and again, remember, this is not like a direct thing. Like you, okay. Men, you are not a bride in the sense that you're feminine, but there are feminine characteristics to our relationship with God. Okay. Moving forward. It's appropriate that the priest is male because he is acting as Christ to his church. And the man is the one who comes to the woman, right? Like he initiates, he makes the move, right? Like he is the primary mover. He is the one who initiates love, right? And like, you can take that as far into the sexual realm as you want to. There, it, it lines up all the way, right? But like, ultimately, the man initiates, right? And um, he, he's the one who like seeks out and pursues his bride. Mm-hmm. And Jesus does that for his church. Mm-hmm. Yes. So that's, that's one of the primary. Yeah, that is. I think that's the one that, that often, um, yeah, that often stands out to me. I think too, and like, this really could be another podcast. And I think we've hinted at this a couple of times, but like, there's obviously differences between the sexes. Lexi just alluded to that. Um, and there is something very unique about fatherhood. And that's not to say we don't need motherhood. I mean, Hey, we got Mary, like Jesus gave us Mary, right? Clearly we need motherhood. But there's something really profound about fatherhood and priests act as spiritual fathers, right? And part of that is exactly what Lexi was just saying is like that initiation and that like they're bringing, they're making it possible for life to be initiated, right? Essentially yeah. like the Eucharist is our life and they, they set that into motion through their authority to remember uh, the sacrifice of Christ in the mass. Um, and that life is then fostered and nurtured by the church. Yeah. Right. Just like a mother like would a foster mother would and foster. nurture that life, mm-hmm. but it's initiated yeah. by the man, by the father. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. So, so those are a couple of different like theological ways that we can start to speculate. And I don't mean speculate in like a, I'm skeptical way, but like in a, like, no, we have really good reason to, um, our theology offers some really good reason as to like, yeah, this is probable as to why mm-hmm. Christ chose this, but it can never distract from the ultimate reason which is that Jesus, who we know to believe is good, um, he chose that. He chose to ordain men. And so the church 
has literally no authority to ordain women because they cannot do anything that Jesus did not give them the authority to do. Yeah. And I think that's like one to keep drilling into the brain because I know I just sat down with a group of my girls. It was awesome. Like last month, I think we sat down for probably three hours, honest to goodness, to talk about like why women can't be priests, talk about the priesthood in general. And I'm not saying this in like a negative way or to call them out, but it was so funny because it was like, okay, so in the beginning I was like, the church does not have the authority to ordain women. Da 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 da. Kind of explain that. And they were like, well, what if this situation happened? Then would the church ordain women? Like, then would the church change their mind? And I'm like, it's not about the church changing her mind, right? Like, cannot. We cannot. We don't have the ability. We don't have, because we don't have the authority, we don't have the ability, right? Like, the power has not been given to us. Um, making a man into a priest cannot be done without the power of God. And so we don't even have the ability, the capability to ordain a woman. Like it's not doable for us. So even if we wanted to, even if every member of the church was pro-female priesthood, we could not ordain a single woman a priest because we don't have the ability. We don't have the authority from God. Yes. I think that is so good. And again, I was trying to articulate this earlier and I don't know that I did, but once again, I think that that understanding is the gateway to understanding all of the church's teachings. Exactly. It's not that the church, that the bishops just sit around and like have a democracy and decide like, Mm -hmm. what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? Yeah, let's do it. Like when it comes to dogmatic issues like this, like they can't just change their mind and they can't just decide. And so I think that the more we can, can come to terms with that, I know for me, like once I finally came to terms with that, um, a lot of other teachings made sense, like on marriage, for example. Exactly. Um, And, and, um, and it's, I don't feel that I have come to terms with it in like a whatever way, but like in a, whoa, okay. Yeah. Jesus, I trust you. Like, yeah. Jesus, like, and it makes sense. And it makes sense. It's, that's what, yes. That's yeah. another thing that I kept talking. I was telling my dad yet again about this whole conversation <laughs> where I was like, dad, all of the truth that I have resigned myself to quote unquote, out of obedience, quote unquote, to the church, to the truth. Like I have found it to be true mm-hmm. with it, with my own mind yep. and in my own research, like and in your own prayer and in my own prayer. Exactly. So it's not like I'm just blindly being obedient because the church said so even like I can go to the church and find things that ring true in my own personal understanding of the truth. Right. Um, and so I think that that's such a gift to us to be able to say like, if I ever go really wrong, I can go to the church and the church will keep me on the path of truth because it's so easy for us to go wrong. And that's why the church, the church's teachings are a gift to us. You know, the church's infallibility is a gift to us. Um, and the priesthood is, a, is an amazing gift to us. So I want to just end by talking about, um, well, first of all, how amazing our priests are, most of them. So many of them right now mm-hmm. are working their behinds off for their church because we are so like scattered and lost with this with this whole COVID outbreak. So many of them are pouring themselves out in a whole new way for their little flocks right now. Like it's amazing. So, um, but even, even when there, it's just, you know, a normal Tuesday, that's not COVID our priests need our prayers. And that was something that my girl, St. Therese of Lisieux was so big on. Um, she actually really had an awakening moment where for a lot of her life leading up to the point that she was like 15, she thought that priests were perfect. Like she just imagined them all being so spotless, like because of their dignity as priest, she, she just imagined that they were pure as crystal, she said. And she, she had this mindset of of the priesthood being so pure because of the dignity to which they were called and the dignity of their role. And then she went on a trip to Rome with like 70 some priests (laughs) and she very quickly realized that these men were just like sinful, struggling humans, you know, and it partially was really disappointing to her, but mostly she was just like, okay, well, we need to pray for the priesthood. And so when Therese made her vows, because she was a sister, when she made her final vows, she said, Jesus, 
I'm offering you my life for the conversion of sinners, primarily for the priesthood. Mm-hmm. Like that was what she offered her life for was praying for the priesthood. And I've always felt super convicted in my own personal prayer life to pray for the priesthood. Like, I just think that there's such a gift to us, but they also bear so much weight and carry so much responsibility. And they have so much potential to be so amazing for our church, mm-hmm. like to really be the person of Christ to our church. And so I just think it's so, so important for us to pray for our priests. I think that's so necessary for all of us to pray for them. Yeah. And I think actually a great way to end today, Lexi, is I'm going to just invite everybody um, to think. So first of all, let's include all of our priests at our parishes. So Father Tom at St. Mike's, Mm -hmm. Father Steve and Father Colin, let's keep them in our hearts. And then if there's another priest that comes to your heart right now, maybe somebody that you went to confession with, even if you can't remember their name, um, maybe it's somebody who um, like hurt you. Maybe it's somebody who... um, you heard a talk and it was captivating, whatever it is, I just invite you to call as many priests that you want to your heart right now. And after I give you a second to do that, we're going to just pray Hail Mary um, for all of those men that they would be, um, that they would be conformed all the more to Christ um, and that the Lord would sustain them and strengthen them spiritually, physically, mentally, emotionally. Um, And so I'm just going to invite you right now to just call that to your mind. And Lord, in gratitude for our priests and in uh, intercession for their holiness, we offer these priests to you through the hands of our mother as we pray, Hail Mary, full Full of of grace. grace. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. The Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So tomorrow when you're watching Mass um, and you are celebrating the institution of the Eucharist, I also encourage you, we encourage you to celebrate the institution of the priesthood and maybe even offer your prayers at mass for them uh, in Thanksgiving and an intercession for them. So happy Spy Wednesday. Spy Spy Wednesday. Wednesday. It's Judas. That's when he betrayed Jesus, unfortunately. Um, Celebrate Judas. Celebrate Judas. I didn't actually mean that. Like (laughs) grieve and pray for all of the Judases within us. Anyways. Okay. Yes. because we love you. We love you. I'm going to stop blabbering. All right, guys. Have a great Holy Thursday. Much love. We'll talk to you on Friday. Friday. Okay. Bye. Bye.